0: Going to Chicago, sorry that I can't take you. Going to Chicago, sorry that I can't take you.
1: There's nothing in
0: Chicago that a monkey woman can do. Who is that? Jazz. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Jazz Bastard Podcast 174.5. I'm Pat and I thought I'd sit down some of my reactions to the 2019 41st Chicago Jazz Festival now as kind of a bonus podcast and put that between two of our regular ones. Mike won't be here because he was unable to attend living on the West Coast. So the first thing I do is pimp my article from last year's Jazz Fest called Chicago Jazz Festival 2018, but subtitled A Beginner's Guide to the Chicago Jazz Festival on All About Jazz. I talk about the event in general in that article, and most of my observations there, I believe, still hold true. Chicago Jazz Festival is very much a jazz fans gathering. It is city-sponsored, it is free, and it's programmed with serious jazz listeners in mind. There aren't a lot of concessions made to kind of people looking for crossover music or uh, popular music that has some tangential relationship to jazz. It's all pretty much jazz. Some is more accessible than others. There are some more traditional acts, some vocalists, but overall it's, it's pretty focused on hardcore jazz and especially the jazz made by musicians who live in or near Chicago. the way it's structured is there's a Thursday session. I never go to that. I just can't get away that soon. And that is in various venues. I tend to think of the festival proper starting on Friday when at 1130 AM, three venues start coming to life. There's a North side tent called the Jazz and Heritage Pavilion and South side open venue called the Von Freeman Pavilion. And uh, those are both in Millennium Park and the nearby Over on the roof of a theater, there's a third area where mainly younger musicians, some amateurs, some unknowns play. I did not get there this year. There can be some good music there, but again, it's kind of overwhelming because all three of these spaces are programmed at the same time. Then in the evening, Pritzker Pavilion hosts the main headliners of the night. This starts at 4.30 and goes till 9. So that's the structure for three days. I'm not sure. Maybe that third venue on the roof doesn't really fire up till Saturday, but... uh, That's where you see the artists. I by no means went to everything, and I don't have comments on everything I did see. I'd say in the afternoon, I saw some familiar faces. Rob Mazurek. The show was fine. It was not awe-inspiring. The uh, trad unit, the Fat Babies, was playing during the afternoon one of the days. Uh, they gave a good performance. I kind of wish they would play a new repertoire in that old style rather than old songs. I mean, there's something a little bit academic or research-oriented about a band playing old-style music and only playing old old tunes from the era. It's a little bit more historical than I like, but they certainly did a fine job doing that. Julie Wood, who we talked about at some length on episode 133, had a double berry group out on sunday uh some of that succumbed to the double berry cliche of just lots of really hard bebop blowing with two berries i never thought that's the best way to use those horns but that's what they did but she's a very fine player and there's some uh, highlights there and then i got to see russ johnson again we've talked about russ johnson on this program before on episode 56 he is a trumpet player Not quite playing in Ornette Coleman's idiom, but very much that lineup of trumpet, saxophone, drums, and bass. And, you know, his set was not revelatory. It was much like the music I've heard him playing for the last few years, but it was certainly fine. One standout was Ben Lamar Gay, an artist whose uh, some reissued work has been dropping in the critical circuit, and uh, he is very hard to pigeonhole. He sings, he plays trumpet, his group involved himself on synthesizer samples and trumpet, a tuba player, a guitarist, and a drummer. And he was the least predictable and I think most just immediately uh, gripping artists that I heard in the afternoon sessions. Uh, it's not quite stream of consciousness, but he's just kind of singing about what concerns him. He's willing to use very basic musical building blocks, almost chants or childlike songs, along with much more complicated materials. And it seems to me very direct and emotional in what music's supposed to do, which is reach you by any means necessary, kind of send you the message the artist trying to convey. So I like that quite a bit. He's very unusual. I will try to play clips. And any clips I play on this show, of course, are not recorded at the festival, but clips I found from recordings by the artist in question. I don't I did not sneak in with microphones and and try to get live dubs. There's a couple performances I've been to each year that I wish I could have done that, but that did not happen. So in terms of the evening shows, Friday, the names that were most familiar to me in the evening. George Freeman was there, I, I was not able to attend that. But Joel Ross is Blue Notes' next big push. He's a Vibes player. His Good Vibes band was there about 5.30. I will talk about that in depth on our Vibes program coming in about two episodes from now. So I'm not going to go into that here. I just say don't kill your grandmother to get tickets to see him. I think he's a very promising artist, but I'm not quite sure his band concept translated very well to a live setting. So saw Ambrose Akemuzeri, and it was probably my favorite performance of his I've heard so far. Ambrose has always been somebody who impresses me a lot intellectually, but maybe leaves me a little bit chilly personally. Uh, the person introducing him stressed his political affiliations and his interest in hip hop, and absolutely zero of that came through in this performance, which was just musically oriented. His tone was much more just enjoyable and rich and kind of sink intoable than I've really noticed it being on recordings before. It is a glory to be here. And if you get a chance to hear him live, of course, he's one of the best-known artists on Blue Notes roster, now getting a little up there. He's got a few albums under his belt. I still think that he'd like, to some degree, Jill Ross, is haunted by the ghost, and he's not dead, of Greg Osby's work on the label in the 80s and 90s. And I wish they would get away from that. But it, it was my favorite performance of his. Finally, the Art Ensemble of Chicago celebrated their 50th anniversary at this, the 41st Chicago Jazz Festival and it was a big ensemble, a couple favorites. Nicole Mitchell was there. And we talk about two of Nicole Mitchell's releases on episode 32. Tamika Reed was in the ensemble. We discussed Tamika Reed's quartet release on episode 124. A couple singers were there, several instrumentalists, some of whom date back to the very beginning of the art ensemble, and some string players were there. It was very ambitious on the second feature involving a vocalist and very third-streamy-sounding, almost classical music. I excused myself. That was towards the end of the set. I was glad to see him, but, you know, they are the Art Ensemble of Chicago, which doesn't always translate to the Fun Ensemble of Chicago, but some of the music was, was quite gripping. They have a huge recorded legacy. I've dipped into it from time to time, and I should dip back into it again as people start thinking about them in historical perspective, having been here on this planet for half a century. I've got mixed feelings about them, but uh, definitely an act to see live. I would say that this was maybe one of the less fun, more self-important gigs I've seen them at. But, you know, what are you going to do? Drove to Chicago. All things known. All things know. We sold our clothes to the state. In my mind, in my mind. As I note in my article, there's a sense at the jazz Chicago Jazz Festival. There's always a certain amount of civic self celebration, celebration of the Chicago tradition. I think some of that is fine. You know, one of the MCs was this older guy who's like a chair, maybe of programming. I think the programmers do great work but he was kind of hectoring the crowd about needing to go to jazz clubs and support jazz and buy jazz recordings as if it's kind of a moral duty. And I think it's a mistake with any art. I don't think that's the way that you win listeners. I don't think that that's true. I think that there's a lot of people trying to entertain us out there and to inform us and to enlighten us. And they just have to have to fight for recognition. And if they're not reaching the audience, that's partially on the audience and partially on them maybe. And we need to think about ways to do that because there are always going to be some people who are interested in serious music, interested in music with depth, but there's some ways to reach those people who maybe don't have the context and the background to appreciate a given genre, and there are other ways to kind of alienate or put them off. And some of the shows I saw at the Jazz Fest, and I'd say to some degree all of the shows I saw Friday night had some aspects about them that didn't seem necessary to me for the art, but did seem to put a barrier, for me at least, between the listener and the performer. So I don't want a white-haired guy yelling at me about needing to go to more jazz performances or more, you know, I mean, I do go to a lot, but the reason I'm going to do it is because I enjoy it, I'm nurtured by it, not because I feel obligated to support a network of artists. It's just that's not the way it works, so I do not agree with that. There's always a little bit of that kind of civic boosterism at the Chicago Fest, and it is a fantastic musical festival, and I think they have some right to pat themselves on the back. I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes it gets a little out of hand. So Saturday night, I did not recognize the artists' names, and uh, I was really pleasantly surprised by, um, or at least the first two artists of the four, fantastic performances. I'm going to be looking up the recordings. The first was Ben Wendell's Seasons, Ben is a highly accomplished uh, saxophone player. He played mostly tenor on this. He's written a fairly complex suite uh, based on the seasons. And it was just uh, fantastic music that had enough motivic and melodic content in it that despite the high intensity of the playing, I think it came across pretty well. It was fairly riveting. Part of it was just the energy being poured into the performances And Ben is a very energetic and very technically accomplished saxophone player. But again, I think more and more, the more I see performances and hear performances and experience them, I think it's more as much about emotional engagement as anything else, as much about commitment or excitement of the players that, that kind of brings the audience into the experience. Now, that's never enough. You can have very enthusiastic players who just aren't that good or don't have that much to express or who kind of spin in place as they try to reach ecstatic heights and just fail to do so for whatever reason. The muse is busy, the muse isn't visiting, whatever. But I think it makes a difference. And, you know, if you can kind of reach the audience, at least with, with maybe not speaking, though I'd sure like to hear a little more talking, a little more human interaction from a lot of jazz acts than I do at this festival every year. But just just performing, just expressing yourself musically, I think that can reach an audience. So this was scintillating. I didn't know anything about Mr. Wendell. I am going to look up this recording. I recommend it. It may be a little more sterile and a little bit more overweening on on recording. I don't know, but it was certainly a pleasant surprise at Saturday night's Pritzker Pavilion uh, performance. Followed by that was Ryan Cohen's Originations, another figure I never heard of. Apparently he's done a lot of arranging, including for Ramsey Lewis. He himself is a very accomplished piano player. He introduced himself as the child of an Arab and a Jew, and the entire program was based around, roughly speaking, for someone deeply ignorant of these idioms, scales and modes and sounds that that I think most listeners would associate to some degree with the Middle East. I mean, it was not cliched playing one scale over and over, you know, but that, that idiom seemed to be there at least somewhat embedded in all the performances to varying degrees and varying presentations. This was an, a group that involved a string quartet, and there were a couple at the festival. There were strings at the Arch Ensemble of Chicago, at his performance, and then one on the following night. I would say the nice thing about it was in all three of those cases, the strings were pretty well used and pretty well integrated. This guy made his bones as an arranger, and these were brilliantly arranged performances. He had the string group, a bass player, rhythm section, flugelhorn player, a multi readist, and... I want to say a trombonist, again, uh, even a week away, the memory starts to slip. And it was just absolutely riveting and fantastic throughout. Just fantastic music. Again, the building blocks weren't super complex. The harmonies, or rather, I don't don't know if the harmony is even the correct term, but the idioms, the modes, always had some kind of Middle Eastern tinge, but it was never repetitive. And just his ability to build and control tension, release tension, point your attention to various facets of his ensemble, use his ensemble efficiently, his own ability to solo in a very passionate way, and his his fellow musicians' passionate soloing. Just a fantastic evening of music, and apparently his project is going to be released as a recording early next year. So I've got to put a tickler on my calendar, but I definitely want to hear that. Again, it's probably the most thrilling thing that can happen at one of these festivals is to encounter an artist you've never heard of who just rivets you and just impresses you deeply. And this was a case of that. So I'm looking very much forward to hearing Ryan Cohen's recording based on his work or group originations, as well as Ben Wendell's seasons. Uh, This was followed by Kristen McBride's New John group. Kristen, I think a lot of us would tend to associate with the mainstream. He's done funk stuff. He's done big band stuff. He's known as the heir apparent to Ray Brown. I've seen him, uh, I've heard him host shows on Sirius. I have seen him with a rotating group uh, from the, uh, I want to say it's the Monterey Jazz Festival years ago. I talked about it on the show. A kind of traveling troupe of musicians who came to, I believe, Indianapolis at the Madame Walker Theater. And he's obviously a fantastic bass player. His new John group is by far the most avant-garde thing I've heard him do. There's a lot of energy there, a fair amount of very intense bass soloing and soloing by the saxophone player and the group in general. You know, one thing to note about jazz festivals is pretty much every performance has at least one long drum solo. So, brace yourselves, boys and girls. Some of them are great. (laughs) Sometimes I just wish that didn't have to be. But uh, this group included one as well. You know... I don't know if his greatest gifts are in this advanced idiom, but if you hear about Christian McBride's New John, at least in Chicago, he was willing to make it pretty avant-garde. Sam Jones left his lawful wife Just to step around Came back home about a year So the headliner Saturday night was Cecile McLaurin-Solvent. And we've talked about Cecile on three previous podcasts, if you can believe it, on podcast 25, 87, and 137. I think I also discussed seeing her live at the jazz kitchen a year or two back. This was her strongest performance, in my opinion, that I've encountered by her. It worked as a jazz club performance. I've had some questions as to whether or not her heart's in Broadway or in jazz, and she did name-check Barbara Streisand at the concert, so clearly she's still torn in a direction that maybe is not my personal favorite, but when she was performing, there was more sincerity and focus than I'd ever noticed before. The voice obviously is just amazing. She is a state-of-the-art female vocalist in jazz at this time. Incredible talent. The numbers she did were mostly from her recorded repertoire, some stretching back. She did John Henry, for instance. Again, the Done with a lot of conviction and just absolute mastery of her instrument, but tied to a kind of emotional directness that I think really made her is, is more powerful than I'd seen her before or heard her before. She had a very striking acapella number about a basically a woman who gets pregnant by a man, kind of a folk song thing, and then the guy kills her and they find her body, et cetera. Et cetera and she did it with a great deal of power. She continues to be fascinated by kind of feminist themes and taking love songs and deconstructing them or the attitudes behind them. I would say her supporting band at this point is getting maybe a bit slick. They're very accomplished. The piano player are hugely talented, but I don't want to say it sounded canned, but not the most spontaneous sounding group in the world. And all the edges have really been burnished off. But she was certainly at peak performance. I didn't get to get every minute of the show, but I got most of it. And she was joined towards the end by the alto saxophone player from Joel Ross's band, Emmanuel Wilkins. Very odd stage presence, uh, young man, just very shy-seeming. And he was playing extremely idiomatic saxophone phrases behind her. And I think it did help to have a horn on stage, just for an additional texture. Because, again, the piano player's work, while admirable, was getting to seem a little slick. Then I got chased away by a little bit of rain, and I chickened out, i got to admit. So finally, Sunday's evening performance, there was a free group I caught about half the show, Dave Rempis, Ingebricht, Hocker Flatten, Avir Ra, and Jim Baker. And I think Jim is an educator in the, in the Chicago area, I believe. He was playing a synthesizer that looked like it dated from 1970 with wires coming out of the top of it in a beaten up old black travel case. And it was very focused. It was going places, but it was free improvisation. And I think someone in front of me turned to a fellow listener and very seriously said in an undertone, this is the free jazz. So it was really stretching, I think, the boundaries of the audience. And like the Art Ensemble of Chicago indicates just how seriously Chicago takes its jazz festival, it is willing to push boundaries. They'll present your blues-based stuff or your very basic swing music, but they include some very left-to-center stuff. And, you know, as far as I could tell, the performance was doing well, but I left it about halfway through. One of the problems with the format of this festival is that there really is no time to eat. And the food available within Millennium Park is kind of sad. I mentioned this in my article. It's, It's really just very basic and not very inspired. So I tended to sneak away at one time or another to get some kind of food. The highlight probably for me of the whole festival is Camila Meza and the Nectar Orchestra, yet another group with the String Quartet. Camila is from Chile. I had never heard of her before. I came in, you know, it towards the beginning of her set and she was singing this very pastel kind of a Brazilian sounding number about peace and harmony. And she had a pleasant but not incredible voice and she was accompanying herself lightly on electric guitar but I had no idea what what I was in for. So it turns out that she's a pretty good vocalist in that South American, slightly flat style, pitch-wise. She certainly sells it. She's got a lot of conviction. She's clearly singing with feeling from the heart. And she's not bad, but she's not overpowering. As a guitarist, though, she's a knockout. One of the numbers she played was the Pat Metheny-David Bowie joint, This Is Not America, obviously, that has political resonance for many of us right now. And, After singing it with great conviction and the band playing along, she just unleashed this amazing guitar solo over it, which is just awesome. The studio clip I patched in here does not do justice to the live performance, and it's interesting to me how low the guitar is mixed in the uh, commercial recording as opposed to the live event. The album is called Amber. I do plan to get it at some point, but it's clearly trying to make a more populous appeal and be a little softer in focus than the live event, which I much preferred. Was not expecting something quite of that incandescence from her. So she's a really accomplished guitarist. I would say probably more impressive on the instrument than she is on voice. I want to look up her new album and see. I'm a little scared that it's going to disappoint me. That it can't be quite as intense as the live performance was. She does include "This Is Not America" on that record. So I'm gonna. But I strongly recommend if you get to see her live, look her up. She's fantastic. And just a, again, a great guitar. I mean, this guitar solo was ripping. But it also included some interesting note choices. It wasn't just rock star heroics, so she was clearly more than capable of doing those. It was rock star heroics with some thought behind them and and a great deal of feeling, and I really enjoyed it. The following show, Latino America, uh, had Miguel Zenon, Melissa Aldana, David Varese, Antonio Sanchez, and Ricky Rodriguez. It was an all-star Latin American coalition that did not catch fire. I don't know. I've kidded before that Miguel strikes me as like Lex Luthor. You know, he's bald. He's extremely intense looking. He never looks very happy on stage. He and Melissa did not seem to have any kind of connection going. They're both playing at an extremely high level, but it seemed like they were playing at each other rather than with each other. The rhythm section was fine, but the whole thing did not. I mean, it was again incredibly accomplished. Just not very musically warm or compelling. So... You know, very high-level, fairly abstract Osby-style jazz. I mean, Miguel is somebody I think of it is out of that Greg Osby school. And as much as I like much of Greg's recorded work, I'm not sure the people he influenced. You know, I'd say the, the rule with him is you want to go warmer, not colder. I mean, Greg's about as cold as you can get and still compel my attention. And sometimes, you know, his students or his followers or people that seem influenced by him, whether or not they really are, they strike me that way, go colder yet, and more harmonically abstract, and, and it just doesn't hit. So I, this group I did not think came off. It's You know, that often happens with all-star ensembles as they don't have chemistry. They don't gel. And that was the case here. And that was the last show I was able to catch. I had to leave, drive back to Indiana from Illinois. But overall, I think it was a, a solid 41st anniversary festival. I, I don't think it was quite as impressive as the 40th. But there were certainly a couple great discoveries here, and that's what excited me the most about it. It was great to see Cecile in such good form. I think she was very impressive. And it is a great place to go if you're interested in jazz. You're willing to give up some of the comforts of pay festivals, some of the amenities. I'd say the bathrooms under Pritzker Pavilion are not horrific, but they ain't charming. Yeah, the environment is okay. It's not perfect. As always, the sound is much better at the Von Freeman Pavilion. I think that was the case even when it was also in a tent along with the Jazz and Heritage. Now that it is open air and the Jazz and Heritage is still in the tent, the quality and sound difference is even more pronounced. It can get pretty garbled down the Jazz and Heritage set. Much clearer, much better at Von Freeman's. I'm not entirely sure why. I think some of it's engineering, some of it's environment. But you're gonna see a lot of local acts, people you've not necessarily heard of unless you're really deep into the music, deeper than I am. And you're not gonna run across a lot of pop-facing acts. Even some of the vocal stuff is challenging. But I think it's very rewarding if you love the music, I've enjoyed every trip I've made to it, some more than others. This one, as I say, be in the middle of the pack. But the names I didn't know and that I wasn't all enthused about were the ones that really surprised me and pleased me the most in the evening performances. So that's a great thing. If you can discover somebody new that you really want to listen to more of, it's a successful festival. All right, we'll be back with a regular podcast next time. Take care.